I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, we are so, so happy to be rejoined by our friend Keith, uh, Keith MacArthur, um, the, the creator and host of Unlocking Bryson's Brain. This was, this was the first conversation we had it was all about that podcast and about uh, your journey into, into trying to find uh, answers surrounding your son Bryson and and uh, what's what he's going on with 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 Grin One, I believe was was the that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, but we're back again because you have a new podcast, a new podcast, a part of the the CBC podcast family, all about unlocking the fountain. Um, I'm going to let you intro the the concept of the show because I love this idea. Um, but but I want I want to hear it from from you. Give our our listeners an intro into what is. Uh, unlocking the fountain if they haven't heard us uh promoing the show already on on sick boy yeah so it's it's a podcast about the fountain of youth and you know kind of this quest that humanity has been on for for thousands of years um you know you hear about the, the fountain of youth about the philosopher's stone there's all kinds of different kind of historical myths and legends of people pursuing this and there've been like charlatans that have been peddling these, these false elixirs. So we get into some of that, mm -hmm. but then I also really get into the good science because we're at this amazing place now where, you know, for the past several decades, scientists have proven that they can prolong the lifespan of animals. And mm -hmm. now they're kind of at the point where they're trying to figure out how do we do this on people? They mm -hmm. haven't, you know, we haven't proven that we can do this yet, but I feel like we're getting close. And I think a lot of people don't understand how, how close we may be. I remember thinking about this um, in we were it was like the first or second year that we started Sick Boy and we were having a conversation about um, like the fear of death. And I have always been this like, there's been this like sort of ongoing joke with the guys that uh, <laughs> if I could live forever, I would. And that sort of shifted over the course of doing this podcast. <laughs> but I I've always been fascinated with the idea of, of longevity and 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 certainly the science around it, but there was this one like really profound quote that stuck out to me, uh, or it was a thing that uh, Aubrey de Grey said uh, a number of years ago, and I don't remember a lot of things, but I remembered him saying that I he well, yeah. thought that the first person to live to be two hundred and fifty years old was already alive today. Well, that's actually a really good a really good uh, segue, Brian, and something that was in that was re that really picked. Uh, piqued my interest in the first episode was um, the conversation around the the idea that <laughs> there's 
there is there is there is somebody out there who thinks the first person who's going to live to be 150 is born yeah. now. Yeah. And then there was a conversation, Brian. This you know this is going right even way beyond that. The first person to be was it a thousand it's years a old? Thousand. Yeah. No yeah. Wait, way. Wait. 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 Is could, could potentially be alive today? Yeah. Yeah, fellas, it's gonna be me. It's gonna be me. Out of here. It's gonna be me. Keith, can you explain? Can you explain um, the um, the idea behind? Because the the, there is there was this uh, there was this concept behind this idea of somebody being able to live to a thousand, and it had to do with um, the excel like the exponential acceleration of technology happening faster. Can you explain that? So, So they call it escape velocity which is, I think, a term that, that is sometimes used in science fiction to describe uh, like, like other, other things. Um, but basically, the idea is that, you know, by the time we have, uh, like, we're close to maybe having science that might keep someone alive for, but the longest person to live so far has been 122 years. Let's say soon we have science to keep someone alive for 130 and then by the time they get there, there's science to keep them alive to 150. And by the time they get there, maybe it's 500 years. So it's the idea that, that the, as people grow older, that the technology to keep them alive will keep surpassing mm. their age. So, right. so this actually dropped five days ago on BBC News on their Instagram. Um, and Keith, I don't know if you've heard about this, but uh, BBC News on Instagram posted a picture of what looks like a mummy. Uh, it is not a mummy. It is a man. Uh, it is a man from Eritrea in Africa. Wait, a real man? Like a, 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 a real, real, a real man, a live yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, well, no, he's no longer alive. Okay. Uh, a man in Eritrea has died at the age of 127. His family has said, expressing the hopes that Natibe Tinisiu will earn a place in the Guinness World Records as the oldest person to have ever lived. "Quote: Patience, generosity, and a joyful life." were the secrets behind him living for so long, his grandson, Zare Natabe, said, adding that church records, including his birth certificate, showed he was born in 1894, the year he was baptized, making him 127 at the time of his death. Wow. Um, which, because was it 112 or something around there was the oldest man? No, 122, I think. Yeah, I think, no, I think the oldest man, yeah, I think is around 112. So... Um, there, there've been lots of claims that people have lived mm. longer than that. The, the Guinness book of world records has, uh, I guess, pretty, pretty serious, um, fact checking and, and mm. that kind of thing. So, so they say that despite a lot of other claims that the oldest person, uh, was Jean Calment who died at 122 years. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, that, and there's a list you can see of all the people who've kind of ha- had proven, uh, proven longevity claims, currently that are that are currently alive and so there's like the top 15 are all women so it would be a big shock if there was uh you know a man who lived so much longer mm-hmm. than that already but and i guess time will tell with this time will because tell. They're, yeah. yeah they're they're hoping that uh, the guinness book of world records is going to look into it but i guess that to, so my, my question here is that this science that we're talking about it, it it's less focused on on curing diseases right it's more so focused on this notion of curing aging itself, correct? Yeah, that's right. So one of the scientists I talked to kind of breaks it down. Um, he, he's a demographer, so he's done kind of lots of calculations on, on aging and diseases. And he says, you know, if we were to cure cancer, like literally cure it, meaning that nobody would ever catch it or die from it again, that that would maybe add three years to people's lives. Mm. Um, curing heart disease, cardiovascular disease would maybe 
do about the same. So he's saying like, there's only so far, and, and most researchers will say, there's only so far we can get kind of curing one disease at a time. But if we can figure out how to actually slow the aging process, which makes all of these diseases so much more common, then that's the way that we can achieve much longer uh, ages, much mm. older ages. Keith, um, I, I'm really curious, what has been your motivation to research this topic? So it actually kind of connects back to um, the podcast that you talked about earlier, Unlocking Bryson's Brain. So, I mean, first I'll say it's a subject I've kind of always been interested in, but the time that I thought it really made sense uh, now is, you know, in that first season, my wife, Laura, and I were really looking for cures and treatments that could help Bryson, right? That could actually mm -hmm. um, make him able to take care of himself, make his own decisions, maybe live on his own. And that's still a work in progress. But the other way that that we can be there and help him for longer, because our, our biggest fear is who's going to take care of him when we can't. Mm -hmm. So the other option is if we can just stay alive as, as long as possible and be strong for him as long as possible, um, you know, that, that kind of pushes back when we have to worry about that. So yeah, so it has a, a personal meaning mm -hmm. for me. Like I want to be around uh, as long as I can for him. Mm -hmm. And I, I think one of the most, I think one of the most fascinating things, like aging, <clears throat> um, we mentioned, I don't know if this would, this will be in the, uh, in the cut of the episode, but um, or, or around the time we started recording, we were talking about David Sinclair and that's somebody who I think we, we've all, we've all um, digested a lot of his, uh, a lot of his stuff, a lot of the stuff that he said publicly about aging and his work. And it's been something that's really fascinated me for a long time. And in the idea that, that, that I mean, aging in terms of like living to be older is one thing, but, but I get like part and parcel of that or like the way that you get to that place. Like you were saying just before this, Keith, with the idea around curing a disease versus like versus aging, um, that you can, when you're working on aid aging, like how the cells, how cells deteriorate over time, um, and end up causing the diseases. Yeah. From that. Like nobody wants to be 80 for another 80 years. Right. Everybody wants mm. to be like 30, 40, 50. Yeah. Like those ages. Yeah. Like, if, like, like that's <laughs> why we love vampire lore. You know, that's why we love watching vampire films. It's true. Yeah. And, and yeah. it is, it's, I think the, that's the most fascinating thing, um, in the idea and the topic of aging for me is, is not necessarily living to be older. Although I guess that is ultimately what would be the result of it. But, but, but feeling better for longer, being yeah. being more um, <clears throat> like uh, having vitality and like a, a really strong life force for for longer and longer, like and you see these people in in society, these like you know these chosen few who have who have for whatever reason, you know, um, you know, I know you go into it in the first episode that <laughs> there's some people that are you know, when they're, they're a hundred years old or they're 105 years old and they smoke and they, you know, and you know, like the one, the old, the old woman who they're like, the doctors <laughs> told her not to smoke. And she's like, I'm 105. What do you yeah. like? Who are you to tell me <laughs> yeah, what to yeah. do? I got here and like, nobody else gets here. I, I like, think she actually said like four doctors have told me to quit smoking, but they're all dead. So right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you look around in society and you see these people, my, my, my wife's grandfather is one of them. I mean, he's 96 now and, and like up until he was 92, he's flipped cars. He would buy 
broken cars and 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 work on them himself. I thought you meant physically flip in a garage, and he would and he would (laughs) and he'd sell these sell these fixed up trucks. And you know he's got like he's got purpose and he's got physical activity, and you know there's these like this sort of concoction or this um uh this sort of equation that it seems like goes into a lot of people who live a, a long life, but being able to live fully for longer is I guess like the main pursuit. Like what was that? What was, what was, what was that a, 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 like a big part of the conversation that you had with the people that are looking into this, like mm-hmm. being better for longer? Yeah. And so there's kind of a, people talk about a difference between health span and, and lifespan. So lifespan mm-hmm. is just the number of years that you live. And like you guys said, if you were to get another, like, you, you know, we, we think of what people are like in their eighties or nineties. Now we see people living in assisted living facilities or dealing with dementia. Like no one wants an extra 30 or 40 years of that. Yeah. But so, so the focus is really on, on extending health span. So that part of life where you're feeling um, good, like living like you are in your, you know, your 30s, 40s, or 50s for as long as possible. That's that's what this is really about. And you know, when you're talking about those kinds of of uh, super agers, like there's been a lot of research done into people who are centenarians, so have lived a hundred, who have lived a hundred or more. And there's certain genes that they tend to have that that prolong healthy living. So we think like, you know, there's a lot you can do that can make the difference in your life in terms of whether you're going to live to 65 or 80. But to get beyond that, you often have to really rely on having um, mm-hmm. good genes. And yeah. then that's what these people have. Yeah. Did you look into blue zones at I all in your research? I was just going to say that. Yeah. 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 I talked to Dan Butner, uh in the podcast, who's who's the, the blue zones guy. And so, yeah, we do talk about that, his, his work around the world, uh, kind of finding centenarians and these, these places where there's uh, more of them than anywhere else. So that, yeah, that was cool. Can you explain to our listeners what blue zones are in case they, they've never heard that term before? Yeah, so it's this idea that there are, I think, five places in the world that he's identified where there's a higher, just a higher number of people who live above 100. And some of them, it's like a higher number of, of males, of men. Some of it's just a higher number overall. And he's kind of went searching for like what it is. Is it something that they eat? Is it like how they live. And he found a bunch of things that were kind of common across these areas. So things like um, uh, like eating wise, for example, they, they tend not to eat a lot of meat. And there've been like a lot of other studies that show that, um, you know, maybe eating eating meat. And they, they do have it for like festivals in a lot of these blue zones, but but it's rare and it's not a lot. So mm-hmm. so yeah, eating meat, not, not great for longevity uh, if you eat a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, things like they're part of, they tend to be part of communities. So, um, you know, they don't necessarily, old people don't necessarily live on their own, like, like most do in North America, they're living with their, um, with their families. So they're, you know, they have these multi-generation households, um, where they're, they're taking care of each other. So he identified a bunch of different things. The interesting thing is like a few years after his first blue zones book came out, he kind of looked back at it and he said, yeah, I still agree with all of that. But the, the one thing that he realized after he kind of had a second epiphany, which was that um, it's really hard, like all these these things that he identified in the blue zones, it's really hard to do in an, in an environment like, you know, a typical Western city mm-hmm, um, right. where you're kind of bombarded with fast food marketing and like all these other things that are going to take you away from living that lifestyle. So he actually shifted and he spent uh, a lot of a lot of his time now working with municipalities to kind of turn them into the kind of places that would encourage you to live more of a blue zone lifestyle. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's really it, interesting. Um, how, how, just on, on that blue zone thing, how much did, um, and 
was this a part of the conversation, but like how much did money have to do with the commonalities between these blue zones? Like, like sort of socioeconomic standing in terms of like these different locations versus, you know, somewhere like Los Angeles or New York. Yeah. So the only, the way that it came in was that all of these places had uh, government healthcare. So people weren't on their own for, for healthcare. So mm-hmm. like, for example, um, one of the, one of the blue zones was in uh, Costa Rica or part of Costa Rica, if, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they're, they're one country in, um, in, in the Americas uh, that, that do have like good, good healthcare for, for everybody where, where some of those countries don't. So that, mm-hmm. that really benefited them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, Keith, uh, I'm, I'm the type of guy who really likes a good hack. Yeah, um, you do. And, uh, and uh, I'm wondering, like, g- given uh, your answer to an earlier question I asked about, you know, trying to stay uh, healthier longer to, so that you can take care of, of Bryson, um, did you, can you give me like a one or two quick hacks in terms of things that you learned through the course of um, putting this show together and something that's easy to implement into your life? Because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of things that would be really hard to implement uh, in our cities, but uh, like I need something that's very easy, like drinking more red wine that Jared suggested <laughs> that uh, that will help me live longer. I think I, I, I said that off air, but yes, I started drinking red wine uh, on on David Sinclair's um, recommendation. Uh, recommendation. But I, I think I'm abusing it, so let's just get that right yeah, out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so, so first, I'll, I'll tell you what the science science around drinking seems to say that. Um, like it's not really conclusive if if a drink or two a day is is good for you. It may it may well be. There's evidence that suggests it is. We definitely know that drinking a lot is is not good for you. Um, so that that's kind of where you have to to have the the balance there. Um, but in terms of okay, so I don't know if if you consider this easy or not, or how it fits into your life. But I think that the best thing, assuming you don't smoke, right? Like smoking is quitting smoking can can help keep you alive for another decade. Mm-hmm. Um, not drinking sugary drinks can add a few years. Um, like if you, if you drink a lot of Cokes or, or even fruit juice, that can, that can take years off your life. But the thing that can probably make the biggest difference is exercise. And it's really specific. It's not just any kind of exercise like, like weight training. Well, it's good for you. It's not a big longevity booster. It's specifically aerobic exercise, the kind that, makes, that, that feels hard, that makes you feel out of breath, um, you know, doing 40 minutes, three times a week, sort of minimum, um, is what, what really seems to make the biggest difference in, in terms of human longevity. I'm taking this to 200 guys. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going okay. all the way. All right. Good luck with that. Um, uh, this, this, um, this, um, sort of fascination and, and benchmark is not something that is new, obviously, like humans have been have been trying to to grasp their hands on this this idea of the fountain of youth for centuries um mm-hmm. and one of the things you said at the very top of the episode was like how charlatans um uh, uh played a role and have played a role in in the history of of trying to unlock the the fountain of youth um what are in in the research that you've done have you come across any like super just batshit crazy things <laughs> that people have tried over the years to 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 you know elongate their 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 age 
Yes. And so, so I'm excited <laughs> to talk about this one here because I, because I, I go into other, when I'm doing other interviews, I'm like, oh, how do I, how do I phrase this? Is this right for this audience? But I think it'll work here. So uh, it's about monkey balls. Amazing. And so, Amazing. <laughs> so there was a, uh, a surgeon um, in the 1920s who went to uh, Egypt and started studying people who'd been castrated, men who'd been castrated. And he believed that they had shorter lives. So I don't know if the science was actually there or not, but he came to believe that they had shorter lives. And so he came to this theory that if like losing your testicles shortens your life, then maybe getting extra testicles will lengthen your life. So he started doing surgeries uh, basically where he would take testicles from monkeys and transplant them into men's scrotums. And he did this like literally in hundreds of of patients. And uh, it was actually like, it was huge at the time. Um, It was a big cultural thing. There was a drink called the monkey gland. There was a Marx Brothers movie that talked about this. Um, There was an Irving Berlin song about it. So uh, yeah, like it's something that we we mostly don't hear about now, but it was it was huge at the time. And then, and then actually he got really excited because they discovered testosterone, and he thought, okay, this is going to prove everything. But um, it actually went the opposite way, and that kind of led to disproving his theories. And uh, you know, pretty quickly people realized that it, it wasn't as as it had been. Wait, oh, so so God. would they take would they take like two monkey testicles and then like add them to your ball sack so you'd have like four? testicles yeah i i I think they actually sliced them so i don't know i don't know how how much they they put in there but there was definitely (laughs) extra extra monkey testicles and actually he also did some with with women where he would take ovaries and put them in women hi i'm jesse crookshank jesse I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Whoa. So I just looked up the monkey gland. Uh, the monkey gland is a cocktail of gin, orange juice, uh, grenadine, and absinthe created in the 1920s by oh. Harry McElone, uh, owner of Harry's New York Bar in Paris, France. It is named after the pseudoscientific idea that grafting monkey testicles tissue into humans would increase longevity, which was an idea developed by the Russian doctor Sergei uh, Voronov. Guys, we got to make that drink. Like, that's, that sounds like a lovely cocktail. I, I'm, I mean, uh, I'm not drinking anymore because it. Uh, oh yes, you know, yes, right. No more drinks. No for red, except for red wine in moderation. That, yes. I, that, that is that is that's pretty well. I mean, it, I I I think it's I think it's fast. Like I love the idea of looking back at history and like medical history and 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 some of the whack stuff. Oh my god, that that has like come about. Through, I mean, we 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 talked about trepanation for Christ. It was like four weeks straight because I, we were just so fascinated by the idea of of self trepanation. And I did a deep dive into uh, into transplants for a while and was looking at the history of mm. how we learned to you know transplant organs and stuff. And mm. I mean, it 
like really, you know, the, the, the Coles notes version of it was that until we realized we came up with rejection drugs, it just wasn't possible. Mm. You just couldn't do it because mm. you just rejected it. And if you didn't have rejection drugs and you couldn't, you couldn't do it. But like the list of attempts to transplant things from animals to humans, humans to other humans, whatever, before the advent of rejection drugs is absolutely mind blowing. Like there no level of failure. And, and, and really, if you think about it, so many failures, so many people who died and yeah, because sure. as a result of, of not being able to do this mm-hmm. for this one, you know, a lot of rats for sure. Simple, but very complicated reason. Um, um, it happened. And, but yet it is the, it is the constant pursuit and never stopping to look for how to do it right or why it's mm. not working that eventually, you know, you, you could have, it could using transplant transplantation as an example, at one point, it probably could have been very easy for somebody to say, listen, we've done this a trillion times over the past 100, 200, 500 years. Literally, it's never worked. We've got to stop killing people. So let's just not do it anymore. And then we would have never, but mm. we might have never gotten to the place where we found mm. the thing that was in the way, the roadblock that now leads us to the fact that, you know, Jeremy could get a new set of lungs and, mm. and whatever. So for aging... I mean, like, does it feel like we're almost there? Like, are we like using transplantation again, like, like, and finding, um, rejection therapy that unlocks the door, you know, are, do you feel through the research that you've been doing that we are, we're on the cusp, like we are, we're about to find the key that unlocks the door that we don't know what's behind it yet? I think so. I, I think actually that there's going to be a bunch of different keys. Like, I don't think it's going to be kind of one, one thing that does it all. I think it's going to be a, a combination. And like, like, here's an example. There's two drugs that, uh, that have already been identified that we think can actually, uh, they're approved by the FDA. And we think that they probably can extend lifespan in, in humans. So there hasn't been um, a significant enough testing yet. But um, one is a drug called rapamycin. So it was a drug that was discovered by Canadian researchers um, in, in the soil of Easter Island. And then a Canadian uh, researcher in, in Montreal kind of figured out what it was. So it's a drug that actually can be used uh, in transplants to help prevent rejection. Um, but it's also a drug that has prolonged lifespan in every animal in which it's been tested. So it's probably the best known um, molecule for helping people to live longer. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it works on something called mTOR in our bodies. And mTOR is this, basically this thing that, that tells our cells when to divide and when to break down and, and recycle old cells. And it's, we can only do one thing at a time, right? So our cells are either dividing or they're repairing and recycling themselves. And we know that the more time our cells spend dividing, the more we're aging. And if we can spend more time in the repair mode, then our cells stop uh, dividing and aging, the aging process itself actually slows down. Ooh, so this is a drug wow. that kind of shifts us into spending more time in that slow, slow down repair mm. uh, and recycle mode. I think I, I think it was Aubrey de Grey who I heard talking about. I, I want to say that it was that treatment and it was something to do. It was with rats and it had had a crazy impact on rats. Like it was like, it was like, um, on rats, it was like 
like a 30% in like lifespan mm. increase. Like it was something crazy. And, and, but then they, but then in that same conversation that, that I'm thinking of, they went on to say like, as a, any, any species, as the, the longer the lifespan of the species, the more challenging it is to add to it. Like if you get, um, you know, you, if you add a year to the rat's lifespan, I mean, that's crazy. You add a year to a human's lifespan. It's mm-hmm. not really like relatively, it doesn't, doesn't have the same impact. I wasn't yeah, really, and I, I think the first drugs that are going to get approved are ones that that might add two or three years. Right. So you know they're they're not the ones that are going to keep us alive till 150. But but that's still you know can be a that's still a pretty big impact if we can actually see that life expectancy like rising by two or three years. That that would be huge huge yeah. just in itself. But I also think it just is the proof of concept that's going to lead to so yeah. much more. Especially yeah. if you're if you're combining it with like the incremental things like, you know, not drinking as much and exercising more and all the little things that yeah. are like sort of in the way that you clear, you end up clearing your hard drive because you mm. realize it's actually a collection of these, you know, like hundreds of smaller files that are taking up all the space. And once you go in and you root around, you can kind of sort through, you figure it out. I but, feel like aging is. The, but this, this yeah, notion like of like someone living today that potentially could live to a thousand. Like, are we talking about, are they talking about a human potentially living in their own organic body for that long or or is that or 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 is that notion kind of stepping away from the human body and more so into you know a matrix x esque type thing where we're loading the consciousness onto a a chip and putting that chip into a you know some sort of ai based computer life like you know what I mean? Like how, how a thousand years old, like how, sci- how, how sci-fi are we talking here? Or, or do they literally mean like, yeah, your own organic body could, could last that long potentially. Yeah. So I should say that, that like that perspective, a thousand years, it's, it's really on the fringes. So right. Right. it's not like most scientists say there's, there's no way. I think 150 is kind of the more reasonable, like that's kind of where people are sort of setting the over under now. And there's, there's a growing number of scientists who think it might be possible that, that someone born now could live to 150. Um, so, so, but yeah, that one scientist does believe that it's going to be people in, you know, in their human bodies that are going to live that long. I also do, uh, get into, in in the second episode, I also get into the idea of cryonics and mind uploads, Mm. um, which is, you know, not not quite the same thing, but, but an interesting kind of uh, side side journey to explore. I feel like those are kind of like bullshit though, in the sense that like, if you were to upload, like, I feel like if you uploaded my consciousness to a computer program or something like that, I wouldn't really be me. I would like as much as like you could say that you'd be taking all of the sort of like the networks and stuff that fire my brain that make me, me and my memories and everything. I feel like that's bullshit. I think that you're you're saying that about something that isn't, that's like, that's not even like 0.0001 like on its way to being fleshed out. Yeah. If I was, I I say it's further than 0.001 percent on its way. To I think I said out. five, four or five zeros actually. But, but the, the other thing is that I'm saying this to sort of persuade people who think that that's a fucking good idea that they should be working on that to, to actually just shift their focus and work work on the organic body lane because Something that was, that's what I want. If I was going to live a really, 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 really long time, that's my preferred way of living. 
in a computer. Yep. Put me into a computer. Bullshit. But what about? I'm good. But what? But what about? I mean, because honestly, Jer, you are sort of in a situation right now. Yeah. Where you are basically going to get the treatment that we are talking. We're talking about living longer by getting a treatment that will ex, uh, extend our lifespan by a significant margin. Yeah. You are literally on the cusp of getting a drug that will do just that for you in I, relation to your life. Yeah, I could get it. I could, I mean, we're talking about Trikafta for people who don't know, which is a drug that essentially, ex, it, it, it statistically, it extends the lifespan of people living with CF. And I am on, like, I could be, I could have my hands on that drug by the new year. And you know what? And, and to be quite honest with you, it fucking stresses me out. What do the you mean? I, the idea of getting that drug, it's a little... It's a little stressful. I like because I I mean this is a this is probably a whole different podcast discussion, but I've lived so long with this notion that my life will last. Okay. Second episode of Sick Boy ever recorded. We we talked to our friend Matt Amiot who had brain cancer. Matt's now passed away. In that conversation with Matt, I say I probably only from this moment forward only have about 8 years left. That was 6 years ago. And you're probably in like a relatively similar health, like ish health, yeah. health wise. So six years later, I'm like, fuck man, how much longer is this going? I'm sticking around you know, for much you know, longer than I anticipated. <laughs> and I didn't plan for this, you, you know? know? And so you, like, this is, it, it, it adds a bit of stress to my life. You know, it'd be really interesting. And, and this is something that I just wanted, I wanted to bring up when you were saying your last piece there, Bri, um, and ask you what, if you've heard of this and what, and your thoughts are on this, Keith, but um, David Sinclair was talking, I heard him talking about, um, the idea that like your age, like the, the number that you assign to yourself based on when you were born is, I mean, it's useless in terms of actually estimating how old you are cellularly mm-hmm. and that you have your age, which is determined by your birthday, but then you have your biological age and you know, you could be, you know, I'm 30 now. And I might be, maybe I'm 35 biologically. Maybe I'm yeah. 25 biologically. I'm like 20 biologically. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever you might, whatever you are, you know, older, above or below whatever your, your birthday is. And that <clears throat> he has a test that you can take um, and it will determine your biological age. And then you could put into practice a whole bunch of things that are, that should be um, lo- like positive for you long from a longevity perspective. And then maybe three, six months, a year later, go back and take that same test and see if it has moved the needle positively or negatively with your biological. Like, so if you got your hands on Trikafta, that would be an incredible test to take mm. from your perspective of getting, um, having that biological age tested and seeing where you are pre-Trikafta and after check out, I mean, I know that there's a bunch of measurables with mm. like your lung health and stuff, but that'd yeah. be a really interesting to see wh- if it, if it moves mm. in that. In yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, one thing, Keith, that I did, that I do <clears throat> want to know is that, and, and this was something that sort of came up before we started recording. We are huge dog lovers here at Sick Boy Podcast, so much so that our dogs, um, probably make their way into the podcast a little too much mm-hmm. uh and we need to keep our dogs out of the fucking studio 100%. um but uh <laughs> everyone knows how much we love dogs and uh i know that the work that the, the research that you've been doing has kind of um led you to 
to realize that that dogs may or may not be like the first species to kind of benefit from this science. Is that is that true? Yeah, that's exactly right. Actually, before before I get into that, I just want to go back and say that um, those tests that David Sinclair was talking about, my wife and I did those oh, as whoa. part of this this series. So um, I won't I won't spoil it here, but um, if you listen, we do we do learn about uh, our biological ages versus our our uh, very cool. calendar ages. Yeah, so that's super cool. Yeah, um, and so uh, yeah, for for dogs. So there's a whole episode on this and. Um, so, so the drug that I mentioned earlier, rapamycin, um, is one where there's a huge test about to get underway with hundreds of dogs. And basically they're thinking that, um, that this, this drug could add a couple of years to, to the lives of dogs. There's another, um, there's, and there's other potential treatments as well. So there's one where, um, and this is actually really interesting biology, but dogs, uh, are, are kind of the first animals that we know that the people bred and like literally thousands of years ago um, in in Siberia um, people were breeding big dogs with other big dogs to be hunting dogs and then small dogs with each other to be sled dogs and uh, one of the, one of the interesting things is is you guys may have even talked about IGF um, in, in another uh, podcast but it's uh, uh, growth uh, insulin growth factor. And it's something that um, basically determines size, but also determines lifespan. So by breeding big dogs with big dogs, we've kind of made it so that big dogs have more IGF-1, which means that they're bigger, but they also have much shorter lifespan. So mm -hmm. uh, dogs, um, yeah, big dogs will live like often not much more than, than 10 years, mm -hmm. where small dogs often live like 15 years. And so it's uh, so. So there's also research going on about how to kind of treat those big dogs so that they could live a lot longer. Ooh. And that uh, actually, that's a, um, a connected to that. Um, uh, listen again, sorry, Jer. I know you don't like when I'm talking about other podcasts, <laughs> but I'm, I was. I won't even mention. I won't mention what ticker. I won't mention what the podcast was. I'll just say that I was listening to Andrew Huberman on a podcast, and they were talking about exactly the same thing. And I. And that I think is where IGF um, kind of ticked off in my brain there. And uh, talking about a big, so big, uh, big animals living longer, um, but the big animals inside a species shorter relative. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, yeah. So like if you have a human, the bigger the human inside the species, the shorter they'll live statistically. Um, but the, but the, but like a dog, a, a human compared to a dog lives longer, a bigger species or a human mean? compared to a tree. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're not in the same, <laughs> it's not in the same animal kingdom. It's not in the same but realm. It proves your point. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever proves my point. That's all I need. Yeah. So, so I think like in dogs, it's, it's much more significant because it's literally at, uh, two, two times like small dogs yeah. live twice as long as big dogs. Yeah. Um, but and they yeah. also have the biggest like range, right? Yeah. Between yeah. like between a small, like the smallest dog and the biggest dog is like, like 50 times. Kind of like trees yeah. too, Bigger. right? Yeah. Kind of like trees. <laughs> yeah, kind of like trees. And in that conversation, well, they go. were, they were using for the human reference, they were using average size humans compared to Andre the giant. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh. Yeah. I, um, uh, one thing that I'm, that I'm sure, I mean, this has to come up in conversations when, 
talking about something like extending our life expectancy. Um, and that's the, like the ethical issues that surround this because, you know, we're at a point now where the planet has, what is it? Like almost 8 billion people or seven, 7 billion seven people. Something. Um, and it seems like kind of too many people for the earth to even wow. handle. Yeah. 7.7. And, and so, so what, like, what are the, what are the scientists who are working on longevity saying about the ethical ramifications that come along with this? Yeah. So, so there's, there's really two that I focus on in the series and um, you've identified one of them right there. It's right. You know, th this idea that we're, we're having a hard enough time with carrying the, the capacity the, or the planet's carrying capacity with the population that we have now. And uh, I talked to one economist who, who kind of did the math and found out that like if everyone in the planet were to live to 150 years, that would triple our population. So, Whoa. you know, the, right now the United Nations is predicting that the population will kind of go up to about 10 billion and then sort of flatten out. But um, if it was, if we all lived to 150, it would go up to like 30 billion. And so, yeah, so that's obviously something that, that we need to figure out. Like if, if we're really going to live that long, how do we do it in a sustainable way? Mm. And then uh, the other big question is just around access, right? So we know that mm. um, already the, the poorest countries, like if you, if you look at life expectancy, in the continent of Africa, it's 15 years lower than it is in North America or Europe. Mm. And, you know, as we saw from the COVID vaccines, I think we can expect that if there are pills that keep us alive longer, the richest countries are going to get them first. Yeah. So that kind of lifespan gap uh, is, is likely to be increased. So I think figuring out, yeah, figuring out access and, and figuring out um, mm. sustainability are, are two big ones. And, that, and, and is, the, will... is the argument to that, like, you know, with the people that you've talked to, have you heard any arguments from their side as to what they think should be done or focused on? Like one of the things that I've heard when it comes to this discussion is that like, okay, well, if the science of, of elongating our, our lifespan is moving at such a rate, then it's almost safe to assume that um, like Earth sustainability science will also be moving at that rate because mm. technology just technology and science like that's just the 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 sort of graph that we're looking at. Everything is exponentially increasing in terms of there, the way it evolves. And so, but when I heard that, I was like, that sounds like a fucking cop out. There's like, a book. Sounds... <clears throat> there's a book. I can't remember. Who, I can't remember the author's name. Uh, but there's a book called I believe it's called The Case for a Hundred Billion. And it is it lays out it lays out an argument and, and the author, the author isn't glued to the earth can sustain 100 billion. He's just making the argument. Here's the case for for the earth being able to sustain 100 billion people and how and I think it I think it digs kind of digs into that question mm. about the science of sustainability and, you know, um, you know, resources uh, like using being able to shrink the amount of land needed to create, uh, you know, food resources and et cetera, et cetera. And I, you know, I think it's a, a number of different things, but it digs into that mm. for the world being able to sustain a massive population 10 times. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's obviously uh, really important. And I think like, you know, that I feel like I agree with you, Jeremy, that that is, that is a bit of a cop out. Like it seems mm. like it's a dangerous game to play to make that assumption. Um, 
because I think even even now, you know, we we know how like the science is here. We know how to tackle the climate crisis if we if we wanted to, um, but there's not really the will from governments or or enough mm. people to to do that. So um, yeah, I think mm. there I think there has to be kind of buy in. I think yeah. I think longevity is kind of it's an interesting topic in the sense that like looking at your experience anecdotally, you're trying to live uh, uh, a longer, healthier life so that you can be there to you know, take care of your son. And so a lot of people who study longevity are studying it because they want to extend the healthy sort of period of people's lives for you know a few mm-hmm. years. Yeah. But they're, they're like, just like in anything, you have the sort of outliers or people on the fringes that are like, want to take everything to the extreme. And <laughs> you get those people that are like, we're going to live to be a thousand years old. Who's with us? And there's a lot of people who I, uh, frankly, you know, I think the, yeah, I guess the big interesting part of this conversation is longevity is such a fascinating topic because I think a lot of people look at look, research it because they're afraid of dying. Mm. They're afraid of what comes after because really, if you weren't afraid of dying, I guess, and maybe Keith, you can answer this question, but like, what is the point of, you know, extending our life here and on, on this planet? Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I think, I think the reason why we've become obsessed with it for so long is that we all know that we're going to die and yet it's the biggest mystery we all face, right? Like mm-hmm. what's going to happen when we die. And even if you're a religious person and you believe in an afterlife and that, that there's somewhere better for you and you'll go, you know, I think still people would like to have more time with their, their family and friends if, if they know that it can be healthy years. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's definitely something. I, uh, I, I, I don't, I, although there is for sure an underlying, like when I think about death, there's a fear or there. It's not like, it's not overwhelming. It doesn't consume me. I rarely think about it unless I actually try to think about it um, in terms of like the fear. But the reason why I could, the reason why I can get on board when I think about it, of your idea of like living forever, Bri, is not driven by a fear of death, but rather as a, rather as a, um, the fact that I, I wake up every morning excited to live. Like I wake up every morning going, there's things to do today. There's people to see. There's like, there's improvements to be made. There's gains to be made. There are all these things. And I, and I, and I, and in the world where my body degrades to the point where none of those things are possible anymore, that's where I can go, you know, let's, let's flick the switch off. But if in, you know, in in the context of this conversation, if we can find ways to slow down that process to a degree that extends the health span, which I think is a really great um, idea to make more popularized out there, health span versus lifespan. Yeah, right. If you can extend your health span significantly, I mean, that's that's that that's it right there. Like the longer that I can get up every morning and want to be the way that I am now, I mean, shit, I I, I love I, feel I like, love every day. I feel like I said that to you guys like five years ago, and you both said to me, "That's." That's bullshit. But, You're going to get but, bored eventually. But that's in the context <laughs> of of how we understand aging, right? Yeah. Because how we understand Which aging. I was thinking beyond that. I was thinking increase my health span. Well, but you're, the, a vi- well you're a visionary. But, but the the other <laughs> thing, the other thing is that that like I'm I'm a I'm like afraid of dying, but not I don't fear death in that way that it's all encompassing either. But 
the reason why I want to live longer is because I'm fucking curious about what's going to happen. Like, what does the world look like in a hundred years? What does it look like in 200 years? What does it look like when I'm a thousand years old? Mm. That'll be really fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially in the context of this conversation, we'll be like, holy shit, it happened. <laughs> Keith nailed this in 2021. <laughs> uh, Keith, we're, we're really excited about the podcast. Uh, again, folks, it's Unlocking the Fountain. It is uh, now part of the CBC podcast family. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. Uh, Keith, thanks so much for taking time out of your day today to sit down and chat with us. This has been really, really fun. And congratulations on the new show. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we had a blast. I'm going to unlock, unlock the fountain. Good luck. <laughs>